What if the Len Bias story is about University of Maryland phenom, who was the second pick of the 1986 draft, who went to the Celtics and just two days later had one of the most tragic and shocking deaths in sports history? The podcast investigates how Bias's death changed the trajectory of NBA history, sparked America's cocaine panic, and made a lasting impact on the world of sports and far beyond. Check out What If the Len Bias Story on the Book of Basketball 2.0 feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with Fandle, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Friday edition, weekend edition of New York, New York with you. It's truly J.J. John Chistremski right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And hope everybody had an outstanding week. Game two of the NBA Finals has just come to a close. We are taping this bad boy right after game two of the NBA Finals. And Milwaukee got everything they could have hoped for out of Giannis. He was solid in game one. He was spectacular. In game two. And guess what? It meant diddly squat as Phoenix wins by the score of 118 to 108. Milwaukee, folks, is not going to be able to survive Middleton and Holiday playing like absolute garbage. Middleton's one of those guys. Talented dude. Versatile dude. He runs very, very hot and cold. Middleton going 5 of 16. Holiday going 7 of 21. Ain't going to cut it. Giannis, and I know from the free throw line, he's going to drive you to drink and account. I'm over it, by the way. It was fun when the Nets were doing it a few weeks ago. I am so over here in 8, 9, 10. I feel like it's New Year's Eve all over again. I do that once a year with Dick Clark and Rockin' New Year's. I, I, I don't need it basically anytime I'm watching an NBA game. But Giannis for 42 and 12 and 15 and 22 from the field. This is an all-time Giannis game. He's playing his ass off. We all saw the injury last week. I got nothing but good things to say about Giannis. The problem is he's running into a team that's flat out better. Game one was about the efficiency and the crazy performance of the ageless wonder Chris Paul. Game two was the Devin Booker show. Because it felt like 
any time Milwaukee was making a run in the second half. Remember, they had an early lead. Phoenix came storming back in the second quarter. But in the second half of this game, Giannis would make a play. Somebody else would make a play. Boom. Booker would come back and hit a three. Phoenix, in general, hit 20 threes and went 20 of 40 from beyond the arc. That's tough to beat, folks. Phoenix has that look in their eye, and I've seen this with NBA teams. Think San Antonio with their ball movement a couple of years ago and how beautiful that was to watch. Think Golden State and all the explosive firepower they had. And I'm not saying that Phoenix is an all-time team like the Spurs or an all-time team dynasty like the Warriors. They're not. But right now, they have that mojo going. And to me, that's going to be awfully tough to stop. I liked Phoenix initially to win this series in six games. I got to be honest. If I could have a mulligan on that prediction, I'd probably predict a gentleman's sweep at this point. Now, that's assuming there are no injuries. Because you know what? I proclaim Milwaukee dead down 0-2 against Brooklyn. And then we know what happened. Kyrie got hurt. Horton got hurt in game one. Changed the entire feel of the series. So I am throwing that little caveat of injuries. So that way you guys can't save the audio, make me look like a jackass, and, and take it from there. Assuming there are no injuries, Phoenix is not going to be denied here. Because if you're watching the NBA postseason like we all have been over the last few weeks, they have the look, they have the feel, they have the swagger of a team that's going to win a title. The Paul storyline, Booker. How about Bridges? Bridges hits big shots. Aiden has played great. Everything about this series reeks Phoenix. And I didn't like them tonight. I thought Milwaukee was going to answer. Thought Milwaukee was going to cover. Couldn't have been more wrong. So hats off to the Suns. They're halfway home to their first ever NBA title. Now, Yankees this afternoon. It's tough to kill a team when they win a series. It's very, very tough to do. Especially when you're on the West Coast, you're traveling, you play 162 games. Here's the problem. And here's my issue. You're in a predicament if you're the New York Yankees. You got a massive deficit in the AL East. You got a sizable deficit in the wildcard race. Where, long story short, you got to win a shitload of games. You got to win a ton over the next month, two and a half months, whatever, if you're going to make the postseason. You can't have mail-in getaway days. It's okay to lose. That's going to happen. The Yankee offensive performance on Thursday afternoon after a couple of really good games against the Mariners, most runs and hits in a game on Tuesday, really good win on Wednesday, good pitching from the likes of Green and Lawaziga at the end of the game, too. Thursday was one of those mail-in getaway games where it's like, we got a flight. We won the series. That's that. Gilbert for Seattle was terrific. He's got really good stuff. Throws really hard. Last few starts have been very, very impressive. He is exactly, though, the sort of pitcher that kind of 
intensifies and highlights everything that's wrong with the Yankee lineup. He's a hard-throwing right-handed pitcher against a lineup that's got righty after righty after righty. This was shades of Nathan Avaldi. This was shades of Tyler Glass now. The sort of dudes that mow the New York Yankees. That's my problem with this team. You have a lineup like this, you're going to get mowed by these sort of right-handed, hard-throwing type of dudes. You desperately need left-handed bats. And don't let analytics and all righties beat the shift and hit it out of the ballpark. Nonsense. Balance is needed for this Yankee team. Whether it's at the end of July or next year, it is needed. They got one hit today. One hit. They say now Montgomery pitched well. One hit. And it's not ideal because of what's coming up for the Yankees over the next two and a half weeks. As the Yankees get ready for the team that probably the fan base hates the most at this point in time in the Houston Astros. An Astro team that's been great all year. An Astro team that will absolutely be playing in the postseason tournament. This is a gigantic series for the Yankees before they go into the All-Star break. Because listen to this schedule and listen to this gauntlet over the final two, two and a half weeks of July. Listen to this. Astros, Red Sox for four, Phillies for two, at Boston for four, at Tampa for three. They play 14 of their next 16 against the Astros, the Red Sox, and the Rays, who are a combined 55 games over the 500 mark. Why do I bring this up? This is make or break time for how the Yankees will handle July 31st. If the Yankees go and get blitzed by Boston, by Houston, by Tampa, they're under 500, let's say. I'm not adding this team. To hell with that. If anything, you're thinking about maybe selling off assets, guys who are going to be here next year or in the long term, or how can you maximize? on a certain asset. That's what's at stake for this team. I will never forget. I'm doing radio in 2016. Remember it well. Saturday night, exhausting overnight. I probably was on like two or three hours of sleep. And I remember screaming after the Yankees had lost two games to a bad Tampa team at the time. They need to sell. Beyond the role this Chapman, they needed to sell. I woke up the next morning, they traded Andrew Miller. And I loved Andrew Miller. But I was so relieved. It was this come to Jesus type of moment in saying, we're acknowledging reality. We're acknowledging what we are, what we aren't. Time for the Yankees to go show me something. Because if they don't, after this stretch of games against the elite competition, yeah, I want changes. And I am more than willing to sell. Time to prove me wrong. Because they're in the mix in the wild card race. By thread, but they're in the mix. This isn't a lost year. This isn't a lost cause. You're going to show me starting this week. Huge start for Garrett Cole on Saturday. 
Huge weekend for this team. Go win a series. Go win a series. Go take two out of three from the Astros and have some momentum going into that Boston series. That's what's at stake. Whole lot. Gigantic, gigantic weekend for the Yankees. Cannot stress that enough. A voicemail right out of the gate. Before we talk to a guy who knows a thing or two about winning World Series with the Yankees. I know, what a concept. Jeff Nelson's going to join us. But first, let's lead it off with a bang. Soriano style. Who's up? What up, JJ? Charlie Woodside. Uh, typical Yankee loss. Uh, chance to sweep a series. Typical Yankees now lose again. Uh, now, the potential sweep game, this team is 3-8. and eight. I'll tell you, and what, at one point until the ninth inning, 22 straight retired. This team has no killer instinct. When they have to make a sweep, they can't, they're not doing this. It's almost like they quit. I mean, no, make no adjustment. They'll let the kid like, uh, mow through cruise and, uh, cruise. I'm going to tell you, I'm sick. Stop with his right handed batters. I mean, what the, what the hell is, what the hell is Brett Garner keep getting playing times? Enough with that shit. Um, and he's, he's finished. If I had to DFA him to bring Esteban Foria up, do it. But my goodness, I'm, I'm you know what, you know what, it's not my goodness. It's, you should be surprised because this is what this team is. This is like, this is the average ball club. And this is what this team does. Uh, no killer and say, can't, no, can't, I mean, I mean, whatever. This team is what this team it is. I don't think this team's going nowhere. Later, JJ. Charlie, excellent point on a Yankees terrible record going for a sweep. Yes, broadcast our dude Ryan Rucco and John Flaherty. Love those guys. Rucco is fabulous doing the games. Fabulous doing the games. And he's been good luck for the Yankees all year. Got to find a way to incorporate him in the broadcast. I know he's got 10 zillion other responsibilities, including working here at the Ringer. That said, I'm looking for Juju any which way I can. Eagle Eye picks, Bentley Yankees. Ruko doing games, whatever it takes. But Charlie nailed it. The Yankee record going for sweeps this year is horrendous. That hurts. It's one thing when you're playing a great team, like, or a very good team. The Astros. They had a chance to sweep the Astros, actually. We're calling them out. They lost the Thursday game. Stunk, but you could live with it. Seattle is not any good. You got to... Decent enough game out of Montgomery. It was a well-pitched game. Not a great game, but it was a well-pitched game. You got to go and score runs. But again, this sort of pitcher, who you saw on Thursday, is the kryptonite for the Yankee lineup. They have no answers because they're too damn right-handed. Can't stress that enough. Next two and a half weeks, they're going to tell you a whole lot about this team. They're going to tell you a whole lot about Cole. They're going to tell you a whole lot about Chapman and how he rides the ship. He's lost the closer's role, which is hard to believe. Deserved to lose the closer's role with the way he's been pitching. This manager who I don't believe in. And where exactly Brian Cashman and the Yankee organization see where they're at. Sometimes over the course of 162, this stuff gets blown out of proportion. This is not getting blown out of proportion with the Yankees starting this weekend. These are gigantic games. Not only for this year, but for the shape of things to come with the organization. The four-time World Series champ, my buddy, wish he was in the Yankee bullpen right now, the great Jeff Nelson, who would be feasting, by the way, feasting off the Yankee lineup if he had an opportunity to go against them. Nelly's going to join us. We'll get to the Mets, who get washed out on Thursday. Another doubleheader for the Mets. I mean, that has been the story of 2021. Holy moly. 
and we'll get ready for the rest of the weekend. Voicemails and maybe a couple of wrinkles. That's how we roll. That's what we do. New York, New York. It's rolling. It's live. It's rocking. Jeff Nelson is coming up next. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. So as the Yankees wrap up their first half, big series coming up against the Houston Astros, and you got all sorts of struggles and trouble for Aroldis Chapman in the ninth inning for the New York Yankees. I figured it'd be the perfect time to welcome in. Guy knows a thing or two about pitching in big games out of the Yankee bullpen, the four-time World Series champion. Now he's got a podcast on the New York Post doing all things New York Yankees. My dude. The great Jeff Nelson. What's up, Nelly? How we doing, bud? JJ, what's going on? Yeah, I had to finish up the pinstripe pod to come on, so sorry it's a little late. But you're right, man. Chapman, Chapman has some issues, and, and you know what? It's I, I've been talking to coaches, ex-players, and and not just Chapman. I think it's Garrett Cole. I think it has to do with something with this spider tack or this pelican grip. I mean, this is I never really thought it was going to be that big of an issue. But it's not just these two guys, but I think it's league-wide with pitchers. But obviously, you know, we're talking about the Yankees, and you're talking about two of the best pitchers that are on this staff. And all of a sudden, over the like the last two months, their ERAs, I think Chapman's almost close to 11.5, and, and I think Coles is about 5.5, almost 6. You're pitching midway through the year. You're using a substance. You're feeling comfortable with a substance two months into a year, three months into a year. Then all of a sudden, they take it away from you. How much would that throw you just completely out of whack, completely out of rhythm? And would that just completely mess up your entire psyche, mentality, what have you, trying to do it your is, job? It is. It's very devastating. You, you know, when somebody's taking something away from you that you're used to, that you use to have success, uh, and all of a sudden you go and you're lost, and basically you're going out naked, and you're not used to doing certain things. You know, I was talking, you know, for instance, Tyler Glass now came out, the guy with the pitcher with the Rays that probably, hopefully doesn't have to have Tommy John, but he may have to. And he says, oh, you know, you took away this, this tacky stuff that we used, and all of a sudden now I can't use it, and I think I blew up because of it. Well, guys, when we, when we played, and we didn't have that around, you know, the baseballs were maybe rubbed up a little bit differently or whatever they use. We, ha- we just snapped our wrist as hard as we could to get that good break on our breaking ball. And nowadays, when I talk to you know coaches or some guys, they didn't have to do that. That tacky stuff, they don't, they don't have to break their wrist as much as they used to to get that good spin rate, to get that good breaking ball. Now, all of a sudden, when you take that stuff away, now they have to. So maybe... Glassdale had something that, oh, I got to really snap my wrist and, and it affects your elbow. And all of a sudden I'm doing something that I'm not used to and I blow out. Well, now we're seeing some results from Chapman and Cole that you take that away. Chapman's breaking ball is not nearly the same. I mean, you look at his last outing against Seattle. He was so 95 miles an hour. He tried to dial it back because he doesn't have the command that he used to when he was able to use that tacky stuff. And the same with Cole. His breaking pitches aren't as sharp. His command of his fastball is not there. So is that something that they can get over and try to adjust with? I mean, you kind of hope so, but you look at Chapman, he had to dial back his velocity because of it. What will Cole have to do? You know, where does this go going forward? Okay, so if you're Aaron Boone, you have an all-star closer. You have a guy making a ton of money. He comes into an 11-run game the other day, and it's still an adventure, but 
you know at some point in time, Jeff, Aaron Boone wants to roll this Chapman back in the ninth inning. So if you were managing a team, I think for the time being, Green threw a flawless ninth inning the other night. He was great in Seattle last night. You have Loisaga there. If you were a part of the Yankee brain trust in trying to get Chapman back on track, what's the best way, in your opinion, to go about that? Well, I think throwing him in those type of games. Listen, I've been there before. I, maybe not as struggled as long as he has, but you know, you struggle a cu- couple games in a row, and your manager really has confidence. I don't think some some people are thinking that. Oh, you know, Chapman throwing in a twelve-one game, he's going to lose his closure spot. No, I think the Yankees want him to get things back, so he does regain that ninth inning, and that's the only way to be able to get him confidence. Listen, it was an ugly inning. He loaded the bases, but the bottom line, he threw up a zero. And I've been there before, and that's all I have to do. Let me throw up a zero. I don't care how I did it, but it's okay. Now I'm set. Now I'm good. You know, now I'm ready to go in the setup role. Now I'm ready to come in with guys on base or whatever and help this team. I, you know, my confidence is back. And hopefully that's the way with Chapman. I don't know if he does get a close another ninth inning before the first half ends. Uh, but the thing of it is, is that you don't see like a Loisaga and a Chad Green throw two days in a row. They don't do that stuff anymore. You know, if you listen to last night, I mean, what, Green threw three innings on Sunday, and then they were concerned about, oh, he's got two days off. Do we stay away from him on Wednesday? I'm like, you had two days off. Let's go. I mean, you know, what's wrong with throwing two days in a row now? You're going to need these guys. But I think when Britain comes back, if Chapman doesn't get it right, I mean, the Yankees Yankees are in a situation right now going into the deadline. They play really tough teams. And I think the last couple of days, that's when they're going to make their decision of whether to trade guys or maybe add guys. Uh, but right now, I, I don't know where you go with Chapman. I think you give him another soft landing, throw him in like a blowout game if there is one these next four days and see how that goes, and then maybe he regains his stuff and gets the ninth inning back. And, Nelly, you got a huge star for Garrett Cole on Friday night. He's going up against his old team. He's been awful the last two times out. Awful at Fenway when the Yankees desperately needed him. Sunday against the Mets, he has a three-run lead. He flushes that right down the toilet. Chapman, we've seen him go through these funks. I know spider tacks the thing. I know he's lost grip. Cole, though, a lot of people are wondering, was he just point blank, a product of this sort of stuff. Who would concern you right now more from a Yankee standpoint, Cole or Chapman? Uh, I would say both. And I, I actually think, and, and JJ, I think it's, I think uh, what Cortez is going to start Friday and maybe they're back. Oh, so they're up doing Cole. Cortez Friday and what, are you going to skip Cole this weekend? Uh, I don't think, I think they're going, he's probably going to throw Saturday and, and there then you go. Throw on one of these games. Yeah. Okay. That makes yeah, sense. He's and Cortez throw should, one. Jeff, I loved what I saw from Cortez the <laughs> other day. It was funky. He's got the stash going, man. The Mets were all out of whack, all out of sense yeah. seeing his stuff, dude. Yeah. You know, who knows? But you know, when you go last night and all of a sudden you hear that Herman had emergency root canal surgery and he can't start the game and you're throwing Nick Nelson who had no clue what he was doing. And then all of a sudden you see Herman get up in the second inning. I'm like, what, you can't start the guy? I mean, it takes him to Advil or whatever and get out there. I mean, this is this is ridiculous. And then now you're going to start Cortez. You know, this is not the rotation that everybody thought the Yankees were going to have here entering the, you know, the final few games of the first half. And really, right now, probably struggling to make the playoffs. And they're not just one player away. They're probably two or three players away to try to compete with the upper teams in the American League. But you know, as far as being concerned, I, right now I'm concerned about both of them. I, I've got to see, 
I've got to see what they can do in order to try to overcome this Pelican grip, the tacky stuff, the, you know, the spider tack or whatever they used in the past. I got to see something that, that they're going to try to compete. And, you know, you spend 300 and some million dollars on coal. And if it's because of the spider tack and all of a sudden he's lost now, that's concerning. I think about you pitching for the Yankees with that nasty slider, with that side-on delivery. Jeff, you'd be the perfect guy to pitch against this lineup. Like, if I were an opposing, oh, yeah. oh my goodness, if I were in Boston, if I were in uh, Chicago, I'd be like, man, I want Jeff Nelson against Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton, Sanchez, all these right-handed bats. Do you think the Yankees and the way they've built this team have made it easier for a lot of these managers? Because, look, I get the analytics are going to tell you righties hit the ball the other way out of the ballpark, the shifts and all that sort of stuff. But when you get down to top flight starting pitching and relief pitching and you got three, four, five of the same sort of hitter, I'm sorry, you're just easier to pitch to. And Nelly, I've been screaming about this for months, really the last couple of years. The Yankees need, need another left-handed batter to to balance out this lineup. Has that been something that you've noticed over the last few years? Oh, totally agree. You know, you talk to a lot of, uh, you know, Ken Singleton, the, you know, broadcaster for the Yes Network and and a lot of a lot of guys that broadcast and write about the team, the Yankees have never won a World Series without left-handed power. You look at the last time they won in 2009, they had Matsui, they had Teixeira, they had Johnny Damon, they had Swisher, they had left-handed power. All during our years, when we won those, what, four out of the five years, even when we lost against the Marlins, we had left-handed power, Giambi and Matsui. You had left-handed power, and then the Yankee teams. We always had left-handed power. You're not going to you're not going to compete against the upper echelon teams with a dominant, a right-handed dominant team. When I used to throw, and obviously different, we used to go in, and I used to look at the lineup all the time before I went into the locker room, way before the game even started. And I said, okay, these are the guys that I'm going to have during during a certain inning, especially if they get it starter gets in a jam or if I'm starting an inning, I know I'm going to have these guys. And I started watching the scoreboard. I would play against teams that were predominantly right-handed like the White Sox back in the day when they had really good power hitting right-handers. And I was like, okay, I got these guys all three days or all four days. And I loved it because it, they're easier to pitch to, you know, uh, you know, you don't see a lot of dominant left-handed relievers out there in, in guys' bullpens. But you see a lot of right-handed dominant guys. And when you're facing a right-handed team like the Yankees, they become easier to face. And like you just mentioned, there's a lot of the same guys in that lineup. I mean, Aaron Judge, I think he's an anomaly right now because he does hit to all fields. I like that. He, I, I like the way he plays. I like the way he hits. He can take you deep to all fields. He'll hit for average. Uh, I just want him to stay healthy for the rest of the year because he's a phenomenal player. So he's an old school guy to me. Everybody else is, a, is the same. I was thinking about this last night because you were part of a trivia question, by the way. I don't know if you noticed this. You <laughs> no. were a part. The trivia question was Mariner pitchers who are all-stars came to the New York Yankees. Randy was in there. Garcia was in there. I'm screaming as I'm watching the game. My boy Nelly, my boy Nelly, he's in there. <laughs> and I was thinking this, Jeff. The Yankees for years used to go to the Kingdom and would get smoked. They could yeah. never, ever win in that building. It's kind of crazy now. Safeco Field. I feel like anytime the Yankees go to Safeco Field, it's like a safe haven for them. It's like a it's like a get right spot. The Yankees love playing now in Seattle. It's crazy. It is. Well, it's a different type of lineup too. I mean, you look at the lineup that the Mariners are throwing out there. You know, they have some good young players, 
Uh, they have a couple veteran players in Seeger and Hanniger, but not really. You know, the veteran the veteran leadership is not there like it used to be. But when the Yankees came into the kingdom, I mean, we had Edgar Martinez, we had Griffey, you had Buner, you had Blowers, you had you had A Rod, you had you had guys on that team that could that could mash. So and plus, I think. When Wetland, when I was there in the early 90s, you know, we always beat up John Wetland all the time in the late innings. And it, we were always confident every time the Yankees came in. And I think Edgar looked, hit a ball, still hasn't landed, to be yeah, honest exactly. with you, Jeff. He loved facing Wetland. Holy exactly. moly, man. He loved Wetland. And, you know, you look around the league, what's the one team on all of baseball that every team gets up to play, no matter how good they are or how bad they are? It's the Yankees. Everybody wants to play the Yankees. And everybody wants to try to beat them. Sometimes they don't have success, but a lot of times they do right now. You played for two of the best regular season teams ever. 98 Yankees, 2001 Mariners. Obviously, the Yankees had the end result that you want. You want a World Series. The Mariners did not. In the middle of those years, though, Jeff, did you feel like one is a part of a team was flat out better? Like, did you feel the 98 Yankees were better than the 01 Mariners? Like, I'm curious. Thinking about that from a regular season standpoint, like as you're going through 162, did one of those teams feel more dominant to you? Well, it didn't. You, you didn't get that feeling until the end of the year when you were in the playoffs because the Yankees, you know, we went in 96 and they were really disappointed in 97. So we almost had a chip on our, our shoulder in 98. And in 98, you know, we had big name starters. You know, we had, we had a great bullpen. We walked on the field and felt like, Nobody could beat us. And if we lost that day, we were shocked. Uh, in 01, we had, that might have been the best chemistry team that I've ever been on. I mean, it was one of my favorite, favorite teams as far as we had such great guys. And, you know, we had Lou, he had Lou Pinella, he expected a lot. And we had the same feeling that, you know what, we're going to win today. I mean, we're going to out hit you. We're going to out pitch you. We had a great bullpen. But when it came time to the playoffs, that's when you knew the difference. You knew, okay, the Yankees have been there. They've done that. And they had such a confidence that, you know, it seemed like every single game we played anyway was was a playoff game because of the media and the fans at Yankee Stadium. You know, they put that extra, uh, uh, hey, let's go, you know. You know, they were never forgiving. Seattle was a little different. But when we went into the playoffs with the Mariners in 01, we had to... We couldn't make mistakes. We, we didn't walk on the field like, hey, we can beat everybody. Because if you look back, we really didn't have a lot of great starters, and it showed during that year. It's a good point. I mean, the Yankees are running out Clemens, Pettit, Messina, and then my dude, El Duque, who always seemed to step it up. Yeah. You could put him. It's amazing, Nelly. You could put El Duque, hang him out on the golf course throughout July. He pitched to like a 5 ERA. In the playoffs, that guy was going to bring the heat. Did you guys right. feel more pressure with Seattle? Because you hadn't won, whereas the Yankees, you know, like you were down 2-1 against Cleveland. El Duque's pitching in that game. You guys, many of you, were reported at 96 teams. Seattle's a little different. You won, but a lot of other guys had not been in that scenario. Did that change things come October? Yeah, it did. Because, you know, with the Yankees, you knew if you were down, you still had confidence that you were going to come back. You know, it was one of those things that it didn't matter the, the pressure was still the same the whole time. Even if we were up three games to none, the pressure was still the same as if we were down 0-3, that we had to close it out. And we were just used to that pressure in New York because it seemed like every day was that pressure. 
in Seattle, they never have gone to the World Series. You know, 95, we came close, got beat by Cleveland in the ALCS. Then we have this special year in 01 where we won 116. So I think the expectation for the players or maybe the fans and the media were like, hey, this is this is a team that's going to be able to go to the World Series. And I think every, I mean, we barely got by, I think it was Cleveland in the, in the division series in 01. We went to five games. And I think everybody was surprised. And the pressure was a lot, lot greater because once we were down, I don't think guys knew how to handle it. They were like shocked, like, oh, we had such a great year. We're supposed to walk on the field and everybody's supposed to lay down. But now we're playing against great teams that, you know, because they made the playoffs. So I think it was a team in 98 that, you know, nothing surprised us and the pressure was always great and we knew how to handle it. And in an old one, we had guys that did know how to handle it. You know, game four against the Yankees in in New York, when we had a one nothing lead, uh, you know, I pitched the seventh inning and then all of a sudden Arthur Rhodes and then Sasaki came in. Arthur Rhodes oh, gave Arthur up the Rhodes home run. Arthur Rhodes against the Yankees, Jeff. Always uh, love seeing Arthur on the mound. I know. He gave up the home run, I think, to Justice, and then Sasaki gave up a home run to end the game. And and I knew it was over. You know, I've been on the other side when we closed out teams and and they had no shot. And I knew after that game, that game five, we were it was done. You know, I knew we had no shot at coming back. And it was very disappointing. But I knew from being on the other side that the Yankees are going to close us out. That was our best chance to even up the series and possibly go back to Seattle and maybe get to the World Series. But after that, I knew I knew we weren't going to go back to Seattle and play. For you specifically, did you get more jacked up going against the Mariners when they traded you the first time? Or did you get more jacked up when you were on the mound going against the Yankees where, you know, you're going up against guys you had won championships with? Like, that, like, competitor within you. What, like, fired up Jeff Nelson more going back to Seattle, going back to New York? Well, both, but obviously coming to Yankee Stadium and then all of a sudden I, you know, especially winning, winning the World Series, winning four World Series and then coming back in 01 and just the whole time during that year. I mean, I love pitching at Yankee Stadium. I love the pressure. I love the fans. And especially as a visitor, I loved it. And 01, I mean, they didn't really appreciate me going back to Seattle. So they kind of let me have it every time I came in. But coming into the playoff situation during that year, you know, I wanted I wanted to say, hey, this is what you're missing. You know, I, I wanted to I wanted to make sure to let the Yankee fans know that, you know, I wanted to come back. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to let you know that this is what you're missing. But obviously you get pumped up. You get pumped up anytime you play at Yankee Stadium. Totally get that. Final one. You played on some awesome teams. 95, saving baseball in Seattle. 96, first championship with the Yankees. Subway Series. You think about your favorite team. In all these years in baseball, Jeff, do you have a favorite team that you were on? Well, my favorite team as far as was 01 in Seattle. That was probably the most fun I had only because we had some real characters on our team. That was Ichiro's first year. We had Mike Cameron. Our road trips, our bus rides from the plane to the hotel was like a comedy club on the, on the, on the, uh, on the bus. I mean, we had such a close-knit team. Uh, we had 15 or 18 guys that were going to dinner together almost every single night on the road. So that was probably one of my most favorite teams. But as far as, you know, I was there with the Yankees for six years and you're playing, I'm playing with Hall of Famers. I'm playing with some of the best of the best. And, you know, the, probably the best fan base, the best stadium. Yankee Stadium was the, by far the loudest and best place I've ever played. You know, it's hard to pick a favorite team because you win four World Series uh, and then all of a sudden you have a great year in Seattle. 
And because of the media level and maybe the locker room was so small, you know, we didn't we didn't have our camaraderie or our closeness until the Yankees went on the road. And then we then we were close. You know, we would have you know, they would have clicks. But all of a sudden, at the end of the night, everybody would meet up. We would have 10, 15 guys meet up. So maybe as far as as far as uh, the the uh, the chemistry, team chemistry, maybe one was a little bit better. But obviously, you know, it's uh, it, it's 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 the Yankee years. Nelly, thanks so much for doing this, bro. Continued success on the podcast. And not for nothing, if the Yankees need somebody still in the ninth inning, you know, to get a big righty out, you know I got you back, bro. Oh, Always. thanks, JJ. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It was good seeing you. There you have it. That's a great Jeff Nelson. Good breakdown there. Chapman, Cole, and he had a hell of a career. Hell of a career with a couple of World Series championships to throw in. A lot more to do. New York, New York. We're coming right back. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Always fun catching up with my dude, Jeff Nelson. And he was a part of a team that spoiled me a whole lot as a kid. You got to remember something. If you were a Yankee fan growing up in the mid to late 1990s, like yours truly, where I was salivating over every pitch, the expectation was at the end of the year, the Yankees were winning the World Series. They were winning the World Series. Like in 2001, they lost to game seven. You felt like it was like this epic, epic failure. And it's like the team had won four out of five, for goodness sakes. And Nelly was a big part of it. That troika, as John Sterling liked to say at the end of the bullpen, Stanton, Nelson, into Mariano Rivera. And don't forget about Ramiro Mendoza, too. Ramiro Mendoza had some great years for the Yankees, but that team was untouchable. And I'm telling you right now, you will never see in Major League Baseball a run like that ever again. Four titles in five years won't happen. It's too much parity in the game. You're not going to see a team go on that sort of run. I'd be shocked. In my lifetime, don't expect it to happen. Now, we go from the Yankees to the Mets. Mets get washed out on Thursday. Played a double dip Wednesday. You could make the argument The first game on Wednesday is one of the best Met wins of the year. Bailing out DeGrom, who was terrific, but bailing him out of a loss. Peraza coming through in a big way. And then bailing out Diaz in the eighth inning with McNeil getting the walk-off hit. There is a grittiness about the Mets that you have to really appreciate, that you have to really like from a fan standpoint. And, you know, I was thinking about this with Peraza. I know the Mets have guys coming back. Peraza's got to be a part of this team. He's had a lot of big hits for the Mets this year. You know, the great Matt Eholt texts me all the time and reminds me that Peraza has better numbers than Gleyber Torres. Now, that is an embarrassment for Gleyber Torres, as we know, but it kind of shows you that Peraza has kind of left his mark on the Mets. That was an unbelievable win. The nightcap was a bummer. They didn't hit Brett Anderson. They had the bases loaded with nobody out in the sixth inning with your big hitters coming up. You had Lindor coming up. You had Dom Smith coming up. You had Pete Alonso coming up. You want to score there. 
But when you go and take two out of three from a very good Brewer team, a Brewer team that has pitched exceptionally well, and they're running out really good starting pitching, there's nothing to apologize for. So I saw that Met Twitter was like all up in arms. It's like, guys, you won the damn series. You're comfortably in first place. You're in a good spot. I'd trade places with your team immediately if I were given the lifeline, if I were given the option. Now the Mets have four games in three days against a miserable Pirate team. The Pirates are absolutely miserable. If the Mets split the series, you're bitterly disappointed. Bare minimum, they should go and take three out of four games. They should take three out of four. Now, I think everybody was wondering, DeGrom, all-star game with uh, the finagling and the scheduling, is he going to pitch? Listen, Jake committed to not pitching in the game. He don't want to go. He don't want to go. He's been there. He's done that. If there's a Met fan that's actually upset about DeGrom bailing on the all-star game, do me a favor. Take a lap. Why do you care? Isn't your priority your team going and winning the National League East? And dare I say winning the National League? Jacob DeGrom decides, hey, I'm working my ass off. I had an injury early in the year. I want to put the feet up. I want to relax. Maybe I want to have a couple of cocktails, and I don't want to fly to Colorado. Then he doesn't want to fly to Colorado. We were talking about this with Durant the other day. It's the same deal. Durant wants to play basketball for the Olympics. God bless him. Go represent his country. You don't want to go? You don't want to go. It's not like a federal crime. It's not like this, like, Oh, my goodness, the world's ending. Jacob DeGrom's not pitching the All-Star game. Good for him. It's not like he has done it before. So you don't have a Met who could tip his cap and wave to the crowd and say, hey, I'm in Colorado. Who cares? And I love the baseball All-Star game. I will be geeked into it. I will bet the American League like I do every single year. It has been one of the best bets in all sports for the last 25 years. Probably been taking advantage of it for like the last... uh, 12, 13, 14 years of my life. Like, I think about great bets. It's like fading Rick Barnes in the NCAA tournament, fading Andy Dalton in the playoffs, betting the American League in the All-Star game. Rules to live by. So you can best believe that will be a beak and that will be a unit for us on Tuesday night. But the Grom don't want to go to the All-Star game? Who the hell cares? Who cares? You do you, bro. That's my advice to you. Voicemail time. So you're wondering how to get in touch with New York, New York. And we'll have a Spotify green room one day next week. I was like trying to plan it out and figure out when we were going to do it. We did one on Sunday. We'll play it by year. We'll play it by year. Who knows? Maybe we do one on Tuesday. Maybe we do one Thursday after Yankees Red Sox. It's, it's, it's open for debate. I, I haven't figured it out. So Rudy hasn't figured it out. And, you know, we'll take it from there. But voicemails. And you guys do a fabulous job with this. It's a big component of what we do. I know you guys know this already because we're like 50 shows in. You know, somebody asked me that earlier today. I did a podcast appearance somewhere else. And they're like, how many shows are you into this? I was like, yeah, we lost count. I had it going for a while. You know, I had a really good flow of like, oh, it was episode 20 or 21. Yeah, now that's, that's over. That's done with. You know, we'll count them up so I know when episode 100 is. You know, maybe they'll have balloons for me. Maybe there'll be a celebration. I'll pop some bubbly in the background. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Anyway, voicemail, 917-382-1151. Enough of my shenanigans. Now it's your turn. Let's hear it. 
JJ, what is up, my brother? This is Hector here in Washington Heights. First of all, man, I just want to say it was great to finally meet you out there in Yankee Stadium. Especially, man, the way you greeted me. For someone who's just a caller, you know, gotten to know you over the phone, man, made me feel good the way you greeted me. Um, and again, it, it was great to finally meet you. Hopefully we could get together again at, at, at City Field where the Yankees play the Mets. But anyways, I wanted to ask you, JJ, because I'm tired of the, the, the BS, the bullshit narrative with the Mets only in first place because the division sucks and yada, yada, yada. And every time the Mets play face somebody who's decent or whatever, it's oh, it's a test for the Mets. What do the Mets have to do to finally gain some respect as one of the better teams in the league this year, JJ, in your opinion? Because to me, they're a good team. Could they have some improvements? Yes. Which leads me to another question. Leading up to the trade deadline, what do you think the Mets' uh, best option to upgrade is? Um, yeah, we could use some relievers, definitely starting pitching. Um, but as far as a bat, you know, we've heard the Donaldson rumors, and third base is probably the best option for them to upgrade. But what do you think would be uh, the best option for the Mets to upgrade here um, leading up to the trade deadline? For what I think is a should be a good playoff push, a playoff push, and then uh, hopefully a long playoff run. Um, again, JJ, it was great to meet you, and interested to hear what you got to say about that. Hector, my man. I met the great Hector in Washington Heights Sunday after the Aroldis Chapman meltdown. And I was livid and miserable and just in a rotten mood leaving Yankee Stadium. Hector's been calling me for the last nine years at my old gig and now here at New York, New York. And he's one of my favorite people on the planet. So I'm glad that I brightened your day because you brightened my day. So I'm not bullshitting you there, Hector. It was great meeting you. And if I didn't have to run back to do the show, we would have grabbed ourselves a beer uh, at Billy's or at the bodega. It would have been at the bodega. Who are we kidding? I'm at Yankee Stadium. We're going to the bodega. So it was great to meet you for the first time, my friend. Now, let's get down to business. In order for the Mets to gain respect and to erase this narrative of, all oh, they're just taking advantage of a bad division, it's very simple. Keep winning. You win games, that narrative will go away. You get into the playoffs, who cares? It wouldn't bother me. Do I think the Mets are better than the Dodgers or the Padres? No. Could they beat either team in the postseason? 1,000%. I'm in a five or seven game series. I got Jacob DeGrom and Taiwan Walker lined up to go. I'm feeling really good about my chances. Get in. Play your best baseball at the right time of the year, and you'll change that respect narrative very quickly. Now, as far as the bat, Donaldson's the guy I'd go get. I love Josh Donaldson as a player. He's got a little edge to him. He's got a little chippiness to him. You saw that the way he was talking shit with Cole. You saw it when he hit the home run off of Giolito, and he's pimping it, and he's, he's screaming no sticky stuff. He's a badass. You don't like him if you're going against him. I saw him destroy the Mets a few years ago with the Atlanta Braves. So I'm in on Josh Donaldson. I've always been a big fan of him. From Oakland to Toronto, Atlanta, and now Minnesota. And the Twins are absolutely selling. I'll give you the other guy to watch. And this is now a team that you circle, and they are front and center when we're talking trade deadline. Chicago Cubs. The Cubs were first place team three weeks ago. The Cubs now stink. My apologies, Cal over at Richmond County, who is like the biggest Cub fan that you're going to find. Like three weeks ago, I was like commended him when I was getting my new sticks. I was like, Cal, you got, you got yourself a winning team. 
They've thrown a no-hitter. They've stunk ever since. Why do I bring this up? I bring this up because they have a ton of guys in the last year of their contract. I'm talking Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, just to name a few. Chris Bryant and the Mets, there was some rumblings back in January or February. Do the Mets and Cubs revisit those conversations? I would. Donaldson and Bryant would be on my shopping list that day. Who's up next? Hey, JJ, this is Jeremy, first-time caller. I'm from Long Island. I wanted to tell you, you were talking about Steve Cohen tweeting. I was at the game that was not played Tuesday night, waited at City Field for three and a half hours, saw Cohen's tweet, was like, okay, they're playing, and then saw the rain come down and, and had to leave. Uh, was annoyed at him, but uh, came back the next day because the ticket transferred over to Wednesday's, the first game's win, and I... I've never been this happy as a Mets fan. I mean, what a win. I mean, I was, I'm young, but I, I saw 2015, but this is great. This was a great win that came from behind Jose Peraza, Jeff McNeil. I was so thrilled to see that victory that it's hard to stay upset at Steve Cohen when he got guys like Jace McCann to put up that 10 pitch walk or whatever it was. And just that whole club has got a different vibe to it. And I feel really excited about the team right now and the team's chances in October. See ya. Jeremy should be excited. And listen, Steve has gotten no better. We know he's a great businessman. We know he has a passion for the team. You're not a meteorologist. Okay. You're not Lonnie Quinn. You're not Sam champion. You pull a stunt like that and it blows up like it did the other night. You just look like a dope. Don't be tweeting about the weather. Don't be tweeting. They're going to play when you don't know for sure if they're going to be able to play. Sometimes, better to say nothing at all. However, your point on the Mets and the way they were able to rally back the other day on Wednesday, that's been a common thread. That's been a common theme for this team all season. They've had a lot of adversity go against them. They've had a lot of games canceled. They've had a lot of guys injured. They have found ways. They have been resourceful. They have been gritty. Those are characteristics and qualities you love out of a big league team. Makes them very likable. The Mets give off a very likable type of buzz. They do. And I think the fan base has, in many ways, embraced that. They're not perfect. They are taking advantage of what is a very disappointing division. But halfway through the year, they look like the best team in the bunch. And with this stretch they have coming up against the Pirates, this is a great opportunity to go run high a little bit. Going three out of four, go sweep this series, see some teams in the NL East lose, and that division lead might be looking even a little bit more inflated by the time we hit the All-Star game. And good for the Mets, by the way, canceling this game two hours early before 7 o'clock. Because if you were in New York City, you knew there wasn't a chance in hell they were playing. If you think I'm wrong, go look at the Major Deegan. Go look at the Bronx River Parkway. I mean, my God. It was like a scene out of a horror movie. It was like the apocalypse, for goodness sakes. Anyway, who's up next? Hey, Johnny. It's me, Jamal, your long-lost friend from Hicksville. Anyhow, congratulations on you having one of the greatest shows ever. Anyhow, John, let's get to the business, shall we? New York Yankees. I'm going to say something to you, John, that it might, not, it might go off your head a little bit. I don't think there's a passion for New York Yankees baseball in New York anymore. Honestly, I think baseball is so far past from being 
one of the top three main sports, or you want to say four sports in America's history, that it doesn't have the cultural significance anymore. I remember, John, with the core four 20 years ago. I remember with George 25 years ago, how the losing streak would destroy the morale around New York City. These days, losing streaks with the Yankees, I don't think it has the same hit as it does or say, oh, as it did 20, 25 years ago. I mean, people are going crazy, but not as crazy as they were before. I'm sorry, John. I see you. I read your tweets and all that fun stuff, but I don't think anybody gives as much shit as they did as they did 25 years ago with the Yankees. That's just how down the paragraph that baseball is in America now. Sorry, John. Still love you. Check your email, please. Thank you. The great Jamal in Hicksville. Jamal, I'm not going to fight you on the popularity of baseball. Now, listen, the NFL is king. It's by far and away the number one sport in America. It's not even close. It's not even close. You're talking popularity sports. It's NFL and everything else. And trust me, on this wonderful podcast that we do, we are going to start doing a countdown of week one, which is like Christmas freaking morning for yours truly. When I'm lining up my betting card, my fantasy rosters, and I got the Dolphins playing at 425, trust me, I will be elated. The only thing I won't be able to do is because we got to do the podcast at night is I got to save the uh, celebratory land sharks or Kona's. Kona now is the uh, beer of choice for my Hawaiian quarterback, my dude Tua, who's going to have a monster second season. I couldn't be more confident. But the NFL is king, the NBA is too. The Yankees in a mess are by far and away teams that move the needle in this town significantly, daily, more than 90 95%. The only team that will do it more is the Knicks when the Knicks are playing great. Because you have that daily, constant turn of the page. I think the point you were trying to make, you didn't do it, but I think the point you were trying to get at, Jamal, was simply this. This ownership group under Hal Steinbrenner, maybe, in fact, not maybe, they don't have that same will to win that George had. That, to me, is pretty clear. It's not just about spending. It's the idea of we got people in the building, we're selling our beers, we're making money, it's good enough. Not for the New York Yankees. 10-plus years without a World Series championship, 10-plus years without an American League pennant is unacceptable for the New York Yankees. And they fall short again whether it's losing early in the postseason or not making it. And right now the deck is stacked against them. In order to make it, I've said it since April, we're not backing down on this. Wholesale change is needed. I'll be banging that table all summer, all fall long. Wholesale change. Who's up next? Hey, JJ, it's John from uh, Arlington, Texas. I uh, was listening to a Tuesday pod about how the last caller was ragging on Lucas Lickey and ragging on Brian Cashman. And I just wanted to uh, bring this up to you. Is it really Brian Cashman's fault for how the team is built whenever that report came out last week how both Michael Brantley and Kyle Schorber wanted to be Yankees, but there wasn't payroll flexibility? I can't get on Cashman whenever he's under a strict mandate to get under the luxury tax. He only has so much to do. What do you want him to do? Play it off half the roster just so he can get lefties? 
if the owner doesn't want to improve the team because of this arbitrary soft cap that they treat as a hard cap, like the NFL or the NBA, I don't know what what is he supposed to do? Just roll out Davy Garcia and Coach Schmidt in the rotation instead of Kluber and Tyone? Maybe not roll, but Schmidt is hurting Davy's stuff in AAA. So I don't. I'm at a loss for words. The blame for me for why the, for why the team is the way they are falls on Hal first and foremost. If he doesn't want to go over the lucky tax, I don't know what Cash is supposed to do. All right, well, let's see if we can beat up on the Kuzi tonight. See you there, guys. I get that point with ownership. I think ownership is absolutely accountable for not going the extra mile with this team. But ownership and Brian Cashman signed off on the John Carlos Stanton move, did they not? They gave Corey Cooper $11-plus million, did they not? Could have signed Taiwan Walker by that logic. And listen, I wanted Masahiro Tanaka back. I can't say I was banging the table for Taiwan Walker with the Yankees. One him with the Mets. With the Yankees, I made it crystal clear. I wanted Tanaka back. Yankees didn't do it. That's where the payroll comes into play. You can have a good enough team with this payroll, though. That's something that I don't want to hear. The Yankees can have a World Series caliber team with this payroll. They're not making the right moves. And they have built a team that in many ways is a one-trick pony. You saw that offense on Thursday. Even after a couple of good nights, even after beating up Kikuchi, he was an all-star. Hard-throwing righty, recipe for disaster for this team. Total disaster. Make or break time over the next three weeks. Who's up next? Hey, JJ, this is Robin Edison. Uh, I was watching the Yankee game last night, and uh, Chad Green came in to close the game in the ninth inning. And I was just remembering your podcast the other night. You said, Chapman's the closer, no ifs, no ands, no buts. So I was just wondering last night when Green was in the game closing, like he should be, was that an if, an and, or a but? Well played, Rob. Well, well played. I like it. I like when you could throw something back in my face. Look, long term, Walter Chapman is the Yankees' closer. In the short term, he is not. So... If and bud, I don't know. Take them and throw them in the garbage for now. I'll give you credit. I'll tip the cat. I think what the Yankees are going to do is exactly the same mentality that Joe Girardi and the Yankee brass had in 2017. A lot of people forget. 2017, Aroldis Chapman went through about a month where he couldn't get anybody out. It got so bad where I remember he had a game where he was coming in the seventh inning against the Red Sox at Fenway Park, got shellacked, pitching in like middle relief. The Yankees built back Aroldis Chapman's confidence. They put him back in the closer's role once he started throwing it a lot better. And by the end of the year, he was closing games for the team. I think the Yankees will go down the same road with Chapman. I think they're going to keep him out of the closer's role for now with the hope that in three or four weeks, they could put him right back there. Chapman continues to pitch like crap, then it's a different conversation. I got no problem with the way the Yankees are handling it. They want him to earn his job back. Now he's got to go and do it. Two to go. Let's hear him. JJ, Justin from Floral Park. Once again, two steps forward, another step back with this Yankee team. Atrocious performance today. They literally had a handful of hits. Okay, how many times do I have to see Brett Gardner in this lineup cut this man already 
Okay, they cut A-Rod for crying out loud. Made him basically retire. Do the same for Gardner. Get Floriel up on this team, please. Okay, I want Andahar in this lineup. Okay, this is such pain watching this. Okay, uh, lacastro has been great. He's, he's not going to last with this guy. Okay, we need bats in this lineup. And when the hell is Stanton going to play the goddamn outfield? It's a joke. Just an absolute joke. Now, got to take two out of three from Houston. I don't even know if that's going to happen. Houston's been playing really well. But th- this is this is just what I mean. I, I'm not getting giddy when this team beats a, a mediocre Seattle team. Okay, the season's going to come as soon as the uh, All-Star break when they got eight games with Boston. If they don't get five out of eight, they got no shot. And I like the Bucks tonight. Later, bro. Justin, I also like the Milwaukee Bucks. It did not go particularly well for either of us, so my condolences there on that losing effort. I made the same bet that you did. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes it rains. John Carlos Stanton now playing the outfield is embarrassing. That is something we've been all over. It has bothered me to no end, and it's one of the main reasons why the Stanton move was a total nightmare from a front office and ownership standpoint. LaCastro has given him a little bit of a spark. I know he's not a long-term center fielder. I agree with Justin. I'd rather he be in center field than Brett Gardner. Now, Andahar is dealing with a finger thing or some sort of issue. When he comes back, the Yankees are better off with LaCastro in center field, Andahar on left, and let Gordy come in and play defense. Long-term, though, it's either Floreal or going to get a real center fielder. If the Yankees are in a position where they actually earn the right to go and, you know, dare I say, make a move to improve the team. These next two weeks, will decide that. Starts Friday, three against Houston, and then out of the All-Star break. Folks, four against the Sox, two against the Phillies, four at Boston, three at Tampa. By the time that Tampa series is over and comes to a close, you will know where the Yankees stand. How realistic are their playoff hopes? Do they earn the right of being buyers at the trade deadline? It's going to be fascinating. Very, very fascinating. Last but not least. Oh, who could it be? KJ, Larry and Florida. The shit show is back. Throw that right against the Yankees, and they're baffled. And I got two trivia tonight for you. Do you remember Grand Canyon's nickname? And the second one is, Henry Marquez is the starter from Colorado, made the all-star team. Do you remember the last Colorado starter to make the all-star team? You're the best. I'm out. Larry in Florida bringing back an old wrinkle with some trivia. Wow. This is bringing me back to the COVID days of having no sports to talk about for three or four months. And Larry would throw trivia questions my way and would stimulate my mind, my body, my spirit. Oh, that's fabulous. That's fabulous. I'm going to ponder these. I swear to God, Scout's Honor, I am not looking up the answer. I'm going to give my guess. Actually, let's give my guess, and then we'll get the answer. Colorado Rocky, the last one to pitch in an all-star game. I have one or two guys I'm thinking of. John Gray, Ubaldo Jimenez. Those are my two guesses. John Gray, Ubaldo Jimenez. 
The first question that Larry gave us, I have no idea. I'm actually putting the fifth on that. I'm not even taking a stab because I have no idea what he's talking about. So maybe we'll have an answer when we come back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So before we set the stage, what's coming up this weekend, I know a lot of people are going to be into the UFC. I won't be. Full disclosure. It's not my cup of tea. Maybe when we get Hawani back on, he can influence me once again. And what an addition, by the way, for the ringer. I mean, listen, he is a badass. He is a great dude. He's the best at what he does in his industry. So for you folks who love the UFC, the ringer got the best in the business, as Larry in Florida likes to say. The best in Ariel. But for me this weekend, no, that is not on the agenda. What's on the agenda is a whole lot of baseball, maybe a golf round, and maybe a couple of beverages in the process. Might be seeing the great Stu Finer on Friday. Might be some content for you folks. Maybe. We shall see. So, Saruti, I took two stabs at Larry's trivia question. Last Colorado Rocky pitcher to be in the All-Star game. First guess is going to be John Gray. The second guess is going to be Ubaldo Jimenez. So, Saruti, was I in the right ballpark, my friend? You were, but would you like to give a final answer? Yeah, I'll give a final answer. John Gray. You've chosen poorly, my friend. Oh, no. It's like, the, it's, I should have went with my gut. I should have went with my gut. Ubaldo Jimenez, 2010, was the last Colorado Rockies starting pitcher to... Uh, appear in an all-star game and I remember that all-star game because it was like the first time in like 20 years that the National League had finally beaten the American League that was in Anaheim Joe Girardi was the manager I remember Phil Hughes pitched in that game and Ubaldo Jimenez for the Colorado Rockies started it and I knew he was an all-star and that's what I get to Rudy for getting cute because I knew I was probably dealing with a 50% chance of getting the Holy Grail I am 0 for 1 for our first ever New York, New York stump JJ. Unfortunate. And I like that. I enjoyed that. There might be some more of that potentially as a part of later shows. Not every show, because I can't do trivia every single show. That would bore me to death. Every now and again, never say never. So, what do we got coming up this weekend? Yankees, Astros, got to win two out of three. Huge start for Garrett Cole. Gigantic against his old team. Can't have this feeling of Cole pitching like garbage, spider tack, you name it, going into next week and beyond. Mets, go take three out of four from the Pirates. And from a wagering standpoint, the Phoenix Suns right now look like a vastly superior team to Milwaukee. I have not seen a line yet on game three of the finals. I am going to guess Milwaukee will be favored and Milwaukee will be favored by two against Phoenix. I have the line in front of me. Thanks to our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook who are all over this. 
the official sports book of the Ringer and of New York, New York, might I add? Wow. Milwaukee favored by three and a half against Phoenix. So that line tells you that the books are factoring in Giannis and the Bucks having a moment. I think they will in this series. I don't think they're going to get swept. Doesn't this series have the makings of Milwaukee wins game three, Phoenix wins game four, and then they put them to bed in game five? That's the sense I have right now. So my initial lean right out of the gate, I would take the Bucks lane three and a half. I'm going down with the ship. Even though I think Phoenix is winning the series, that line kind of tells me the story. And even if I lose, it's going to even out a little of my winnings from the Phoenix series price that we had at, well, like minus 191 in 95, right around there. Okay. Jeff Money's probably got to play. I don't know what's on his card for the weekend. It's baseball or the NBA finals. I don't know if he's diving in the UFC. You never know with money. What's happening, buddy? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. This is going to be for tomorrow, Friday, July the 9th. I got one play for you. Major League Baseball. I'm going to take the Oakland Athletics minus the 130 against the Texas Rangers. It'll be Irvin versus Lyles. Irvin is 4-2 and two with a 2.55 ERA on the road. And Lyles is 2-1 and one with a 5.50 ERA at home. So I'm going to go with the Oakland Athletics minus the 130. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Money, I love the idea of getting on board with a team like Oakland after a bad series against Houston, a win on Thursday, and they're going up against a miserable, miserable Ranger team. So I like the logic there, my friend. If I were playing that game, and that will not be a game on my card come Friday, I would lean in the direction of the Oakland A's. And I can tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I am going to be in the lab like crazy over the next two to three weeks, absorbing as much as this little pea brain can handle when it comes to futures for the NFL and college football. And that way I can hit the ground running going into this year because I got off to a rotten and a miserable start a year ago in the Super Contest. I think I started off the year 5-14-1, and one, and I picked five games a week. You go big or go home. They do it five games out in Vegas. I hate when shows pick three games. That's lame. That's weak. That's a cop-out. You do it the way they do it in Vegas. You want to play with the big boys? You got to pick like the big boys and girls. So we'll pick five. Super contest players will be on record every single week. Last week, or last year, I should say, I stunk for about a month. Finished over 500 because we were unbelievable in the second half of the year, and we had a good run in the postseason. So I'm sick of those slow starts. I'm trying to get that out of my system. Might have to change some things up. Last year was a weird year with all the COVID and whatnot. But that's a big focus of yours, truly. Got to get off to a fast start. And trust me, the hamster wheel is spinning thinking about the possibilities with this podcast and our platform and green room and all the stuff we're going to be doing come my favorite time of the year, September and October with this NFL season. Fellas, fabulous job. We're back Sunday. Our first half recap, if you will, for the 2021 baseball season. I'll give you the crib notes. It's been a good one for the Mets. It's been a miserable one for the New York Yankees. But we'll have you covered every which way. Get the voicemails my way. We'll have programming updates as we see fit. Enjoy your weekend. Hit them straight. Enjoy the sun. Enjoy the family. JJ out. Be good, everybody.